Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 721 for the 4th of December, 2020. This week, anyone who owns a scanner will get better results by dumping the application that came with the scanner and using ViewScan instead. There are even more advantages if you have multiple scanners or multiple computers. In short circuits, although I've mentioned replacing mechanical drives with solid-state drives before, I have a real-life example of how easy the process is. If you think Facebook isn't showing the posts you really want to see, you're probably right. Let's consider a way to sidestep Facebook's artificial intelligence. In spare parts, only on the website, phishing scams are always worse around the end of the year, and this year the threat is worse than usual. An organization is trying to help high school students who are dealing with distance learning while homeless. And 20 years ago, even Stephen King couldn't make ebooks popular in 2000. We just weren't ready yet. If you have a scanner, it probably came with some software, but there is a better option. You'll have to pay $40 or maybe $90 for ViewScan, but it's worth it to get the best results from any scanner. When Microsoft released Windows 2000, I found that Epson would not be providing drivers for my scanner. That converted an expensive scanner to a doorstop, and I replaced it yeah, with another Epson. Epson did the same thing around the time Windows 7 or maybe Windows 8 was released, but by then I had found ViewScan and the lack of drivers didn't matter. It didn't matter because ViewScan developer Ed Hamrick designed it to work with every known scanner without any dependence on proprietary drivers. Hamrick released the first version of ViewScan in 1998. Today, it supports flatbed scanners, sheet-fed scanners, and film scanners. Initially, his work on scanning software was simply to improve on what the manufacturer provided for his own scanner. ViewScan currently supports more than 6,000 scanner models, and it runs on any version of Windows from the 64-bit version of XP all the way up through Windows 10, virtually all versions of the Mac OS, and several Linux distros. And as of April 2020, it even runs on a Raspberry Pi. In 2019, Apple's macOS Catalina version dropped support for all scanners that had no 64-bit versions of their drivers. And that's a story that's been repeated time after time for various operating systems and scanner manufacturers. It isn't just Apple. ViewScan makes it possible for owners to continue using those older scanners. Now, it is likely that drivers for 64-bit Windows and Mac OS systems will continue to work for the foreseeable future, so those who own recently manufactured scanners with current drivers may think they don't need ViewScan. But there is another very good reason for thinking about buying it. 
There is simply no scanning application that gives the user more access to controls than ViewScan. The power to make changes can improve the resulting scans, or ruin them. And that's doubtless why Hamrick created three operating modes, Basic, Standard, and Professional. Someone who is new to scanning should start with the Basic interface because it offers only the simplest settings and provides some on-screen instructions. After gaining some experience with the Basic mode, advance to Standard to open up a few additional options. This mode introduces four more tabs, Crop, Filter, Color, and Output, and the on-screen operating instructions are retained. Stepping up to the Professional mode is a large step. The on-screen instructions are gone, but some hints do remain at the bottom of the screen. The number of options in the Input tab increase from around a dozen in the Standard interface to 25 in the Professional interface, and there are more options in most of the other tabs, too. All of these choices would overwhelm a new user, but they'll make life much easier for those who have the knowledge and experience to use them. Experience comes only from continued use, but there's a shortcut to knowledge and enlightenment. Sasha Steinhoff has written two books that will help, both The ViewScan Bible and Scanning Negatives and Slides are available as paperback books or as Kindle books. Scanning Negatives and Slides was written in 2007, and the ViewScan Bible was written in 2011. Now, you might think that that means they are dated references. That's not the case. References to existing hardware will seem a bit out of date, but scanning techniques still depend on getting the settings right. Explanations of resolution, file formats, and workflows are the same now as they were a decade ago. The ViewScan interface itself has changed very little, so descriptions of controls on each tab are still accurate. Users can download ViewScan for free and try it for as long as they want. Instead of limiting the time or the features in the trial version, it places a watermark on each scan until it's been registered. And that brings us to the cost, whether $40 or $90 is a better value. The standard edition at $40 is fine for those who have only a flatbed scanner and have no plans to add a sheet feeder or a film scanner. Updates released during the year will be provided without cost. The license is perpetual, so it will continue to work after a year, but no updates will be provided. The professional edition at $90 is essential if you want to use a document feeder, a film or slide scanner, use the professional interface for access to advanced features, or have ViewScan perform optical character recognition on text scans. The professional edition also provides unlimited free updates. So what if you choose the standard edition and then decide you'd really like to have the professional edition? In fact, that is what I did many years ago. You don't have to start over. The full price of the standard edition is credited, so you'll pay just the difference, $50, to upgrade. ViewScan offers another significant and unusual benefit. It can be installed on up to four computers with any combination of operating systems and will support whatever number of scanners you have. I have three scanners, an Epson Perfection Photo Scanner, a Plustec Film and Slide Scanner, and the scanner that's built into a Canon multifunction printer. 
Some competing products require one license per device per computer. So that would mean six licenses for hundreds of dollars if I wanted to be able to use all three scanners on both a Windows and a Mac OS computer. ViewScan lets me use the Epson scanner when I want the best quality, and the Canon scanner when quality is less important, or when I need to use the sheet feed function for a multi-page document. And if you're wondering how often updates are released, Hamrick says there's usually an updated version of ViewScan every week or two, and these include improvements, new features, and support for additional scanners, bug fixes, and support for new operating systems. ViewScan has so many settings because Hamrick knows that the best quality isn't always the best choice. It is essential to match a scan to its intended use. The two extremes are speed and accuracy. The fastest scan will be low quality. The most accurate scan will take far longer and consume an enormous amount of disk space. Consider one extreme to be Mama Bear, the other to be Papa Bear. So Baby Bear, the one in the middle, is the correct choice. But Baby Bear moves around. Sometimes the best choice will be more toward speed, sometimes more toward accuracy. ViewScan handles anything. If you scan an 8x10 color print using a 64-bit scan depth and 4,800 samples per inch, you're going to have a file that approaches 16 gigabytes. And the process of creating it may take hours. What I have described here represents an extreme misuse of scanner capabilities. It is a color print, so you don't need the transparency bit. Scan it using 32-bit depth. Then think about how you plan to use that scan. Selecting 4,800 samples per inch exceeds the resolution of the photograph. What's the point? Drop the sample setting to 300 or maybe 600 if you think you need a gigantic print someday. Now, instead of a 16-gigabyte file and an hours-long process, you'll have a considerably smaller file, maybe 40 to 60 megabytes, and the process will take less than a minute. ViewScan has built-in color management, but it can also create a raw scan file in its own proprietary raw format or Adobe's digital negative format. These allow for post-scan processing, so choose one of the raw options when you want to have more control over the output. From a quality standpoint, TIFF and PDF are next in line. TIFF is a great choice for images that you'll need to edit in a photo application, and PDF is the best choice for text documents. Choose JPEG for the fastest scans, but keep in mind that JPEG applies compression that severely limits processing options later. Although ViewScan's built-in reference files provide a good quick summary of the application's operation, those who want to get the most out of the application and their scanner should consider buying a copy of the ViewScan Bible. So maybe you're looking for something to do until it's safe to resume more or less normal life? Have a bunch of old photographs around the house? Digitizing those old photographs and negatives might be just the thing to do. And if so, ViewScan would be an excellent choice indeed, because it earns five cats. ViewScan is the application that should have come with your scanner. With support for more than 6,000 scanners, some of which would otherwise have been rendered unusable by a lack of drivers or operating system support, ViewScan extends the life of older scanners and gives users access to more precise controls for all scanners. 
A reasonable price, a license that allows for use with all scanners you own on up to four computers, and access to updates forever in the professional edition make ViewScan the must-have application for scanning. You'll find additional details on the ViewScan website, and there's a link to the ViewScan website from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, what's the best way to speed up an older computer? There are two possibilities. If the computer has four gigabytes or less of RAM, add memory. Otherwise, think about replacing the mechanical hard drive with a solid state drive. I've talked about this before, but now I have a real life account for you. My wife's computer frequently got bogged down because the disk drive that came with the computer was a 5400 RPM mechanical drive. So I ordered a Samsung solid state drive. When it arrived, I needed about 90 minutes to clone the existing drive to the new SSD and install the drive. Big difference. Every task should be this easy. In the old days, I always recommended more RAM as the most cost-efficient way to speed up a computer. These days, it's almost always install an SSD. That's because most computers already come with at least 4 gigabytes of RAM. Increasing that to 8 gigabytes will provide some minimal improvements for most users, but the real bottleneck is usually disk access. Those who spend a lot of time working on photo, video, or audio files should have at least 8 gigabytes of RAM, and 16 or more is even better. But mechanical hard drives are the root cause of most computer sluggishness. Manufacturers can keep prices low by specifying 5400 RPM drives. Any mechanical drive will be slower than a solid-state drive, but those that run at 5400 RPM are the slowest of the slow. Fortunately, both additional RAM and solid-state drives are affordable upgrades. If you have a computer that's several years old, upgrading both is a good way to avoid having to buy a new computer. But unless the computer is seriously short of RAM, replacing the hard drive will offer the most dramatic improvement. I bought the Samsung 1TB drive to replace the computer's 1TB mechanical drive. Normally, I would use a crucial SSD, but Samsung drives have a slightly better reputation, and they come with useful diagnostic and monitoring software. The Samsung SSD 860 EVO drive was priced at $120, the equivalent crucial drive $5 less. To clone the existing drive to the new drive, I downloaded ESUS To Do Backup Home, which comes with a 30-day trial period. ESUS, in fact, recommends downloading the trial version to clone a drive because the free version of their backup application doesn't include a clone option. This is a remarkably honest approach by a software publisher because they point out that the 30-day trial is sufficient for the cloning operation after which the user can uninstall the trial version and use the free version. 
Does this policy lead people to pay for the full home version instead of using the free version? It might. I use the paid home version to create a disk image of my boot drive twice a week. Preparing the disk itself for cloning was easy. I mounted the new drive in a spare Sabrent case, connected it to my computer, and initialized it as a GPT drive. I could have used the older MBR instead. MBR is Master Boot Record, by the way. GPT is GUID Partition Table. GUID is Globally Unique Identifier. So we got all the abbreviations out of the way. In fact, it really wouldn't matter which method I used because the cloning process eliminates anything on the target drive. It just needed to be formatted as something so that Windows could see it. Cloning the drive took a little less than 90 minutes, then I needed to remove the old drive and install the new one. The computer, a three-year-old Lenovo IdeaPad 310, made that process extremely easy. The disk drive is in a compartment with a cover that's held in place by a single screw. The drive itself has no mounting hardware other than a soft plastic wrapper, so swapping the disk took less than five minutes, and then it was time to power the computer on. The computer booted, quickly, I might add, and then it took another minute or so to delete the installation files and uninstall the trial version of the Isis to-do backup. So if you have a computer that's a few years old, feels like it's too slow, and is still using a mechanical drive, think about spending an extra $50 to $100 to upgrade the drive to a solid-state unit. I've talked about Social Fixer before and how the geniuses at Facebook are doing everything they can to derail it. Whether you use Social Fixer or not, bookmarking a few Facebook Fixer URLs might help you get what you want out of Facebook. You're probably not seeing the posts you want to see because Facebook thinks top stories is a better choice than most recent. Unless you're using Social Fixer, Facebook repeatedly switches to top stories no matter how many times you revert it to most recent. The top stories view displays what Facebook's artificial intelligence function thinks you want to see. Given the utter failure of this view to provide what most users really want to see, you might be inclined to think that Facebook artificial intelligence is really Facebook genuine stupidity. So there are four URLs that you might want to bookmark. All of them start with https colon slash slash www.facebook.com. Then there's a slash, and what follows the slash is what modifies the way Facebook presents its information to you. Check out the TechBiter Worldwide website. You can copy and paste the links from there. And these aren't account-specific, so just save them as bookmarks to your computer. The first bookmark switches Facebook's mode to most recent. And if you're one of the seven people or so on the planet who really like the top stories view, you can save the second link so you can switch back to that view when you want to. Or maybe you're more interested in seeing posts written by your friends. That's the third URL to bookmark. And if you'd prefer to see your favorites first, try number four. Even using these four URLs won't guarantee that Facebook will show you what you want to see, but they'll probably be closer to what you want to see than what Facebook thinks you want to see. 
Always bear in mind that Facebook's original motto was move fast and break things. Although Mark Zuckerberg says that is no longer the way it's done at Facebook, the evidence seems to contradict him. You don't need a special URL for spare parts. Just head over to the TechBiter Worldwide website. This week, you'll find these articles. Phishing scams are always worse around the end of the year, and this year, the threat is worse than usual. An organization is trying to help high school students who are dealing with distance learning while homeless. And 20 years ago, even Stephen King couldn't make e-books popular in 2000, we just weren't quite ready yet. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.